I want to talk to you on the subject of home improvement. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about home improvement, and then last week on Mother's Day, we talked about the fact that not only moms, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we can all have a life that is blessed if we'll just learn to understand one thing, and that is to fear God. And when we talk about fear, remember, we're talking about a reverence, because there's only one who needs to be revered, and his name is Jesus. Amen? And so when we have a proper uh, understanding of who Jesus is, when we, when we stand back in astonishment, remember I, I was talking about this last week, when we stand back in astonishment, in amazement, and we understand who he is, and we, and we look with awe at all that God has done, that's when you'll be blessed, moms. That's when you'll be blessed, dads. Young people, that's when you're going to be blessed. Not because if it's going to be some out of some selfish form of praise that comes to me or that comes to you, but that when you are praised, God is ultimately getting the praise because of your life, because of how you're leading your life, because you are walking, you are talking, you are thinking, you are moving in the fear of the Lord. And today I want to start with this verse in Psalm 127. The Bible says in verse number one, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Home improvement. And I want to ask the question when we talk, when we talk about home improvement, how do we survive the attacks? Everywhere I look, the home is being attacked. I mean, when we think about it, marriages are being attacked, children are being attacked, but there's one thing I understand is that marriages are important to God. Moms and dads are important to God. Grandpa, grandma, aunts and uncles, they're important to God. Children are important to God. I'm reminded uh, in his book, Jesus, A Pattern for Living, Dr. David Overton, many of you remember Johanna, and I've quoted this in the past, but her husband, Dr. David Overton, he wrote this. He was concluding his thoughts on Jesus and the family, and he said these words. He said, marriage is a serious thing to God. It should be to us also. You see, because when God finally rested on the seventh day, he had created a family. Therefore, God's ultimate creation was not man, but family. You see, God created man and he created woman. You remember in the creation story, he looked at everything that he had created and he said, man, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then he looked at man. Man, ladies, everyone would say amen. They looked at man and said, it's not good. He's alone. He needs a completer. He needs a helpmate. He needs someone to tell him to brush his teeth and to comb his hair. Maddie's getting Pentecostal on us this morning. Families are just important to God. And so if we're going to really improve the home, we've got to understand that the home was originally created and established by God. Two weeks ago, I concluded my message on home improvement, and I was talking about the fact that while there are many symptoms that can be found in a home that is crumbling or in need of repair, I said these words. I said that our marriages, our families, and yes, even our churches are being destroyed because of one overarching mindset. Does anybody remember the mindset that I talked about? Glad you were awake. <laughs> Mediocrity. You remember? I said that mediocrity is killing our marriages. It's like, oh, it's okay. I don't want to. I don't want to ask for forgiveness. He'll get over it in time. I don't want. I, I, I don't want to ruffle her feathers. So I'm just going to keep on lying to her. 
Guys, mediocrity is killing our homes. Jesus said in John 10.10, he said, The thief cometh but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, But I am come that you not only are going to have life, but that you might have it more abundantly. And that word or that phrase, more abundantly, means that Jesus said, I want you to superabound in this life. I want you to have a life that is superior to a life without me. That's why I came. We know from scripture the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We understand that he came to minister. We, can't, we understand that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And so he came so that we could have this superior life. And this concept of mediocrity is killing our homes. In fact, mediocrity in our lives paves the way for many of the attacks that the family continues to face each and every day. I think of a lot of attacks, and we don't have time to even cover uh, many of them, but you think about communication breakdown in the home. Dad gets home, and he finds his favorite friend. I have him too. You know what he's called? He's called the remote control. Man, he feels good. You want to know why? Because the remote control doesn't talk back. <laughs> and on the occasion that that little thing stops working and I stop hitting it on my hand, I go to the drawer and I find a beautiful little thing called battery. And I put a battery back in it. And guess what? He continues to work without talking back. You see, we get home and we fail to communicate. We, we, in the home, we deal with inappropriate anger. Uh, the home is wreaked with havoc by a uh, really, you think about it, adultery, separation and divorce and on and on, child and spousal abuse. I can tell you there are mild forms of abuse and then there are some significant forms of abuse that are running rampant in the homes. Alternative lifestyles, teenage pregnancy, abortion, pornography, ruining homes, disobedient children, derelict. Here's one that we don't talk about because we don't like to admit when we're wrong as parents. Derelict or irresponsible parents. Guess what? God blessed you with the child for a reason. Raise that child. Quit allowing somebody else to raise your child. And poor fiscal management. This is another area. I, I threw this in at the last. It was like, oh, should I put that in there? Yeah, because you see, the reason we make poor fiscal choices is because we're not allowing God to rule and reign in our home. We're not allowing him to drive these, these things in our mind. Listen, in a negative sense, I was thinking about the word attack as a verb. And I was, I was looking it up and, you know, I wanted to make sure I was accurate. It actually means this. The word attack in a ne negative sense means to act violently against something or someone to try to hurt, injure, or destroy. To criticize in a very harsh and severe way. Now, when I think about the family, I think back all the way to the very beginning. You know, after God said it wasn't good that man should be alone, I will create for him a help meet. And he caused Adam to sleep. You remember the story? And then he took one of the ribs thereof and he formed woman. Man, what a sight that must have been. Adam woke up and he's like, what? What happened? Who is this? And he said, this is woman because she was taken from, na from man. I will call her woman because she's part of me now. She's flesh in my flesh and bone in my bones. And so we see this beautiful picture in, in creation. But I'm reminded that when we get to Genesis chapter 3, you know, the serpent. The Bible says he was more subtle than any beast of the field that the Lord had made. And in verse number 1 of Genesis chapter 3, you can look on the screen. He says, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? 
You see, he starts to conspire. Guys, remember if I said God's greatest creation was the family, who is the serpent attacking? He is attacking the home. He is attacking the family unit. He is attacking Adam and Eve in their very infancy of marriage, newlyweds. Listen, he was, he was going after Adam and Eve just as the serpent will come after you. And the Bible says, continue to read in Genesis chapter 3. Let's read this in verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that to her, but she adds a little bit in of color commentation for the serpent, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Listen, the serpent was subtle. He was cunning. He was crafty. He was seeking whom he may devour. You know, like that passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses number 8 and 9. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But verse number 9 says this. Notice this words. It says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Mom and dad, resist the temptation of the devil. Young people, resist steadfast in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. And it says this, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Folks, it's time to reclaim the home. It's time to refocus our actions and our efforts. It's time to rekindle our love for God and His Word. Because if you remember my message a couple of weeks ago, I finished by saying that Ephesians chapter 6, and I think we have that verse, the Bible reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan's first attack on the family was directed to Eve and Adam. You remember? But he didn't stop there because, you see, I'm reminded in the story of Genesis chapter 3 that even after God provides a coat of skins for Adam and Eve to cover up, you remember when God reappears on the scene in the story? He says, where you at? Adam, where are you? Hello, Ali, Ali, come free. And they were hiding. And God provides the answer right there in the very beginning. He uh, uh, provides the sacrifice, if you please so that their sins can be covered. And so the, the war on the family didn't stop there because guess what happens next in Genesis chapter 4? Anybody remember a story about Cain and Abel? So you see, after mom and dad disobey God, then Satan says, oh, I'm going to attack the boys. And so he goes to the boys. And what happens? Cain gets angry. He has an inappropriate level of anger. In fact, he brings his sacrifice to God. God says, what are you so angry about? Just do right and it's going to be okay. But then God says, if you don't do right, he says, buddy, you're giving Satan an opportunity. He says, he's laying there at your door. He's going to seek whom he may devour. And so Satan has always attacked the family. His strategy has never changed. John chapter 8, verse 44, tells us that he was a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar. In fact, not only is he a liar, but he is the father of lies. 
That's why as Christians, it behooves us to be aware of his methods and his schemes. As I look around today, and as you look around, it's easy to see why our homes are being ripped apart and destroyed. Because we're not paying attention to the attacks. And the attacks are coming in many, many different forms. Let me share just a couple of those attacks with you briefly. First of all, they're the attacks from a humanistic standpoint. You say, what do you mean a humanistic standpoint? Well, just think of the very word, humanism. What is its focus on even in its title? Humans. You see, when you look up the idea of humanism, it essentially means an outlook or a system of thought that places the prime importance on man, not God. The primary focus in humanism is the potential value or goodness of man. Man is the highest entity. He is the measuring stick of all things. In fact, to a humanist, God's name means absolutely nothing. To a humanist, if Jesus even existed at all, he was a mere man. To a humanist, the Bible is of little interest. So don't ask a person that adheres to humanism to really read Scripture because they're not going to want to read Scripture because they don't believe that there's a God, they don't believe that Jesus was God, and they don't believe the Word of God. Pretty consistent. Here for a humanist, here's another thing. They believe that evolution to be a scientific fact, even though time and time again the theories of evolution have been put to rest. They keep on believing it, uh, which means if evolution is a fact, that means that you and I are nothing more than a big old grown-up ape. Now, which has implications on how we live. You see, to a humanist, why, what's the big deal with sin? Why even talk about sin? There is no such thing as sin. I'm just a big grown-up animal. And so there's no right, there's no wrong, and so there's this humanist behavior. All kind of ramifications. Humanism believes that life, that this life is all there is. The goals become to get as much happiness, to get all the things that we can accumulate before this life ends, and thereby we win in a humanistic society. By the way, a humanist may admit there's a problem in their life. You say, well, I, I've met some people that, ad, that adhere to a humanistic standpoint or a humanistic view, and I know them. They're nice people, and, and they admit that they have problems. I guarantee you this. You can, never, you can never find a humanist that will allow you to diagnose, much less give you treatment from God's Word that they will apply to their life. They're not going to do it because they don't believe in God. They don't believe His Word. Listen, but as Christ followers, we must be careful not to allow this type of thinking, the world, to dictate how we lead our homes. And you say, well, where do you get all this? From Scripture. I try to lead my family based on what God has to say. Because you know what? Greg left to himself isn't really that smart. My wife says amen. But Scripture tells us in Colossians chapter 2, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and following, it says, As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in, what does it say? Him. Walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After, notice these words, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Oh, there's the humanist attack. There's also attacks from amoral philosophy. A-M-O-R-A-L. Amoral. That's different than immoral. 
okay? And we'll get there in a second. But the word amoral simply means lacking moral sense or unconcerned with rightness or wrongness of something. A moral philosophy says no accountability, no restraints, no right and wrong, no standards. I'm my own boss, therefore I'll do what I please, get out of my face, I am in charge. It's different from being immoral, you see, because a person who is immoral understands what's right, but they just laugh in the face of right and they say, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but forget you, I'm going to do it anyway. That's the problem with the church of the living God. We got a lot of people who know God's word. We understand God's word. We know how we should actually walk out the door and actually live out our faith so that Christ can be seen and magnified and glorified and honored in our lives. But when, it, when, the, when the rubber meets the road, we say, you know what? I'm just not feeling it today. Have I ever done that? Yeah. Yeah. You want to know why? Because I'm covered with the same stuff that you are. It's called flesh. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is strong. You see, I'm covered with flesh that says, I want what I want, and I want it my way right now. Years ago, there used to be a restaurant over in West Springfield. It was called Burger Chef. It wasn't Burger King, it was Burger Chef. Some of you are shaking your head, which tells me you are older than 50 years of age. God bless you. It's Burger Chef. And here was the concept behind Burger Chef. You would go and you would order a cheeseburger, and that's what you would get. You would get two pieces of bread, a burger, and a piece of cheese. And then they had what they called the Fixin's Bar, or counter. We don't say bar in a Baptist church. Eh, you guys better wake up. No. And the whole idea of Burger Chef was to feed the flesh. Well, you don't, like, you don't like pickles? Then don't put pickles on your burger. You fix it your way. You're the boss. You make the choices. And then immediately after Burger Chef did that, you know what came out? A little jingle from Burger King. Have it what? You don't have to go to Burger Chef. I mean, come on, Burger Chef. Come to Burger King because at Burger King, you are king and you can have it your way. By the way, I don't have a problem with Burger King. Don't go out of here and say I was preaching against Burger King. In fact, I do have somewhat of an ought against Burger King because I can no longer eat seeds. I wish they would go to a plain bun for the Whopper. But then why would I get a Whopper? Because I can't have tomatoes. I can't have pickles. I can't have raw fruits and vegetables. So, I mean, pretty much I need a burger chef in my life. <laughs> Just give me a patty, a piece of cheese, and two buns. Thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful burger. You see what I just did? That's what we all do. See, there's a difference between being amoral and being immoral where we feed the flesh. You know, there were some people in Scripture in Romans chapter 1 who had a problem with this. And man, this is a whole message in and of itself, but I won't even cover the whole passage. I would encourage you to read it all. You might as well just start at verse 1 and read the whole chapter of Romans chapter 1. But in verse number 18 and following, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Notice these words. For God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world. What does it say? Are 
clearly seen. You and I can go out here and we can understand the power and the magnificence and the splendor of God just by looking at the beauty of His creation. Notice what it says. They're clearly seen, it goes on, verse 20, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. Now notice these words. So that they are without what? Moms, dads, young people, there's no excuse. The home needs improvement. We need to reclaim the home. I need to reclaim the home. My wife needs to reclaim the home. We're training our boys to go out and make sure that they're focused on living a life that pleases the Lord. And they will stumble and they will fall. But hopefully they've learned enough from us to know this, that when they fall, they get back up and they wipe off their knees and they keep on moving forward for Christ. We've got to do it, folks. There's the attacks of this humanistic uh, standpoint, the amoral influence and philosophy. What about the attacks of media? Nobody? Let's just suffice it to say that via the television, the internet, video, audio, etc., the media is having a field day with our homes. Typically, the problem, though, is that we keep listening. They're having a field day destroying the home, and we're like, here it comes. And then when there's a part that we don't necessarily agree with, we condemn it. We're like, oh, look at that. Why'd they put that on that show? This is my favorite show. Now they just ruined my favorite show. I can't watch that favorite show. Or what we do is we try to fast forward through that part and then we keep on watching the rest of it. I know, I was expecting Linda to say, tell it. <laughs> we keep listening, we keep watching, we keep inviting it into our home. In fact, statistics are showing, here's an here's a, here's a eye-opener. It was eye-opener for me. More than 50% of children from the ages of 6 to 17 have TVs in their rooms. Now, it keeps getting better. Children in those ages typically watch TV or play video games an average. Are you ready for this? This is just an average. This is not my youngest son because he is above average student. <laughs> Praise the Lord. On an average, on an average, children are watching TV or playing video games an average of 1,680 minutes or 28 hours per week. They got a full-time job almost watching TV, playing video games. If they were paid for their efforts and they made $10 an hour, that's $280 a week, man. You could pay rent. Vote for me for president. <laughs> no. Here, let me clarify. Never. <laughs> Guys, we got to be careful about this thing. I, I'm serious, really. I, I'm trying to be loving and I'm trying to be encouraging, but home improvement is such a serious topic. It deserves, really, we could probably have a whole year full of home improvement messages and still not touch the hem of the garment. I think about 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and following. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you are more in love with this world than you are with the Father which art in heaven, there's a problem. Because soon and very soon, 
There's one thing I know. 10 out of 10 people still cross over Chile, Jordan, i.e., they still pass away. And unless the Lord returns while I'm still breathing, it's going to happen to me too. So you might as well just get ready for it. What does that mean? That means we ought to live for the Lord while we have the opportunity. It doesn't mean that we ought to go live in sin just because we have breath of life. Listen, we ought to live it in honor of the one who gave us life. Verse number 16 of that passage says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Attacks of the media. Uh, the last attack. Attack from a secular mindset. In a nutshell, the secular mindset advocates this idea. If it feels good, you know it, right? If it feels good, do it. That's the secular mindset. It can be defined as this, a system of doctrines and practices that disregards or rejects any form, any form of religious faith and worship. Its primary objective is the total elimination of all religious elements from society. In a secular mindset, wickedness, perversion, and sin actually become the norm. It becomes the norm because it's that mentality that says, if it feels good, just do it. Listen, marriage is denigrated, family morals are mocked, and human life is devalued. Does this sound familiar? Sounds like 2016. It sounds like what I'm seeing on Facebook. It sounds like what I'm, I'm seeing on uh, the different news media channels. But I'm reminded in Scripture, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19 and following, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor doth uh, or rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, I'm reminded of that church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. You know, we get a chronicle of the different churches in uh, Revelations 2 and 3, and Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea, and... I kind of liken that church to what I see today because that church, you know, they had so many things. They were so blessed. I mean, they had so much stuff that it got to the point where they were so filled with so much this, that, and the other that they had little time or little need for God. And in fact, if you show it on the screen in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 17, Jesus says to the church, He says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not. He says, they don't even know. You don't even know your problem. He says, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, he spoke to the church back then and he says, you got a problem. You're focused on all your, your materialism. You're focused on all the things that you have. And you remember that famous passage that sometimes gets kind of misconstrued and pulled out of context where it talks about those that were either cold nor hot. And, and Jesus says, hey, you're walking a lukewarm walk, church. And he told that church, you remember? He says, it makes me sick. In fact, I used to say it. It's, it's it's pretty raw, so if you'll just bear with me. I used to say this to our young marriage ministry a long time ago when I was hearing Corey and Pam and others remember. Jesus was basically saying in that verse, he says, I would rather you be cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, he said, I will spew you out of my mouth. What he said is, I'll vomit you out of my mouth because it makes me sick. 
And he's telling us today to wake up. Do you know that in verse number 18, right after verse number 17 in Revelations chapter 3, Jesus begins and he says this, I counsel thee to buy of what? He says, you got everything else you need. You got all this and, and all the gold, all the ruffles, all the feathers. He says, I counsel you to buy of me try, gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Oh, listen, our homes, we need to improve the home. Yes, everyone in this room needs to improve their home. There's no one that's arrived. No, not one. All of us need improvement. The question is, are we willing to admit it? So here's three things I give you. So what do we do with this? First of all, understand or actually realize there are going to be problems. Realize you're going to have problems in your home. It's just going to happen. Listen, God is supposed to have the priority in our marriages and in our homes. Moms and dads, I would suggest that you still have a responsibility to oversee the household. We have stopped. We have to. Here's something that I think even my sister-in-law would agree with. We have to stop blaming the church, the children and teen leaders and all the schools for our kids' failures. The school didn't raise my child the way... The, stool, the school's not called to raise your child. You are. God blessed you with the child. Quit asking the administrators and the teachers of our public and Christian schools and home schools to raise our kids. And let's get back to raising our kids ourselves. You know, my dad had, a, had that weapon of mass instruction. He wore around his belt. I guarantee you one thing, he wasn't afraid to pull that puppy out either. And I'm not advocating you go out here and beat your child, but there is something wrong when we stop training up a child in the way he or she should go and start delegating it to the school and to the, the daycare center and to the church and to Travis and Megan over here in the teen department and we're asking them to raise our kids. That's wrong. That's wrong. Let me take some water. I'm getting a little worked up up here. Y'all might accuse, I, I don't know. We got to realize, does everybody here, let me just ask this, I, this is just kind of a poll. Does everybody realize that there are going to be problems in the home? Okay. Then number two, I don't even need to go on on that point. Because number two then, what we need to understand is that God's word always has the solution. Hey, quit looking to the politicians for a solution. They have no solution. And you know, I was reminded on Friday, we need to remember the color of Jesus' blood. That's what we need to remember. We need to quit worrying about whether Jesus looked like me, uh, or whether he was Caucasian, or whether he was more Indian, or whether he was a little darker like my brother Michael, you know? <laughs> really, we got to quit worrying about this color of Jesus' skin and start re remembering the color of his blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary for our sins so that we don't have to experience a place called hell. His word, by the way, the Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So what he was saying was, I am the word, I am God. Out of my mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. I am the one, I am the way, and I am the truth that is going to cause someone to actually understand that I am God. It's going to cause them to understand their sinfulness and the Holy Spirit working together in concert, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, can draw men and women, boys and girls, unto the foot of the cross where we might actually say something like this. Mm, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. 
I tell my wife all the time, she's a sinner. You want to know why? Because she tells me I'm a sinner. And I'm probably a worse sinner than she is. I'm thankful for her love and for her grace. We have taken the things we learned at the marriage event and have even put them into practice. It's kind of comical, though, you know, sometimes. She said something the other day, or, or I said something. We were, we were having lunch, and, and we did that little exercise. She said, you hurt my feelings. And so, so I turned to her. I grabbed her hands. Those that were at the conference know. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me for hurting your feelings? Now, we were in a public place or else I'd have made out with her. You don't need to say that. Jared said that hasn't stopped me before. You know, Jesus is so good to me. He's so good to you. We got to get off our high horses and learn to love God. Learn to love Him and love one another. Psalm 127 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That word vain means it's useless. Our attempts are useless to build your home. Young people, you'll not build your marriage, you'll not build your home, you'll not train up a child in the way he should go unless you allow the Lord to build your home. In fact, what's pretty interesting is if you actually study that, the Hebrew word for build is the word bana. And it actually has three other root words, or, or it's the root word which three other words come from. And here, let me take you on a little journey. The word ben is translated, now watch this, as son. The word bath translated as daughter. The word bayith is translated as house. And so what the psalmist is saying, except the Lord builds, except the Lord establishes, except the Lord completes the home, your work, your efforts, your words, your actions are in vain. It is only the Lord that can build the home. Unless the Lord establishes it, we're wasting our time. Listen. The last thing I want to tell you is that we need to be proactive in our application and obedience to this word. If we understand or realize there are going to be problems in the home and we understand that God's word has always had the solution, then the simple thing is for you and I to actually be proactive in our application and obedience to his word. In Colossians 2 verse 20, the Bible says, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, if you're identifying with what he has done on the cross, you have received him as the Lord of your life. It says this, from the rudiments of this world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to the ordinances? Quit living according to man's ways and start living according to God's ways. Christ is the one who frees us. Let us live according to his ways and not the world's ways. And you say, how can I do that? Well, you remind yourself that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. And when we speak like that, we're speaking of Jesus Christ who has taken up residency in the heart of the believer. We need to stop allowing this world to have so much influence on our homes and be proactive. You know, in James, James 1, verse 22, the Bible says this, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You want to know how we deceive ourselves? We come into Battlefield Baptist Church or any other place of worship 
We hear some white-headed guy get up and talk about God's word. And we say, I don't know if I liked that today. Or maybe we even say, that felt pretty good. That was a good encouragement. That was a good reminder of what we ought to be doing. And then we walk out those doors and we go, reset. 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 You know, it's like our cell phones. You know, you have the alarm setting. You can set reoccurring alarms to go off. It's almost like we set an alarm to go off once we leave the house of God. It says, go back to living according to the course of this world, according to the rudiments of this world, instead of according to God's ways, according to God's thoughts. Oh, we got to quit hitting the reset. We got to keep living our faith out. Be ye doers of the world and not hearers only because when you hear the word of God and you get puffed up with knowledge or you think that you've attained some level of knowledge, man, I don't know why. I, I really, you know, a lot of people have things that rub them the wrong way. I'll tell you what rubs me the wrong way. And I, you pray for me. It's spiritual people. Well, pastor, you don't tell, you have never taught me anything I didn't know. Well, God bless you. How's your life going? Are you living according to God's word? Or are you living according to your puffed upness? You know, because the Bible does say, the Apostle Paul says, knowledge puffeth up. We've got to be careful. Don't be so spiritual that you can't live a holy life. There's one thing to be spiritual. It's another thing to be holy as Jesus is holy. Listen, we can survive the attacks against our home. Yes, it is possible. But it all begins with God and His Word. How we think, what we say, and what we do is extremely important. Home improvement, I put down here, is available for the taking for those that truly seek it. The question is, will you seek it? Is it important that your home improve? Or do you just want to continue living a life of mediocrity? Jesus said He came to give us life, and to give us life more abundantly. He said, I came to give you a superior life. Quit being fooled by the world. Quit being duped by Satan who began his attack on the family all the way back in the Garden of Eden.